0: number 30, Broad Street, 1022. 13, Sergeant, And I remember the first time we went code 3, so code 3 is lights and sirens. And, and we get the call, the driver cranked the radio. And it was Ozzy Osbourne's crazy train. And it was nighttime, and it was raining, and I remember thinking, like, this is the end of my life. Like, we're flying down Seymour, the street, at some crazy speed, listening to Crazy Train, going to some call. It was just absolutely harrowing. So that was my first experience of, holy smokes, this is what being a paramedic is like.
1: Welcome to Episode 4 of Interesting Vancouver Presents... Interesting Vancouver Presents is a series of stories with ordinary Vancouverites leading extraordinary lives. This podcast is an extension of the annual Interesting Vancouver Speaker Series that happens every fall. I'm your host, David Swanson, and today, Interesting Vancouver Presents Jamie D. Grant.
0: I'm just a really smiley dude. This is Jamie. I think a lot of people, if you don't know me personally, you'd be like, you know, this this is impossible. Like, someone can't be this positive. And I I wish I could explain it to people, but I'm just wired differently. Like, I've always been a super happy, positive person. I don't have rose-covered glasses. I describe them as solid gold. Jamie was a speaker at the 2014
1: Interesting Vancouver event. During his talk, we learned he's quite the accomplished magician. He's graced the cover of Magic's Genie magazine, invented Magic's Trick of the Year, played at the Plaza Hotel in Vegas, and written a couple books, too. On top of all that, he's also a decorated cyclist, and he used to race competitively over in Europe for a time. But we're not going to talk about any of that. Instead, we're going to talk about how Jamie found his path in life by saving the lives of others, by becoming a paramedic. And like many self-forged paths, Jamie only found his calling after some professional experimentation. Some of these experiments were motivated by passion or curiosity, but most were just to make ends meet.
0: My dad was a, he's retired now, but he was a pharmacist, and my mom was the house mom for three kids, and I don't know i can't I won't go specifically into what happened, but there were some financial challenges throughout my childhood that we didn't you know people say, you know, I grew up poor, and you look on paper and you're like how how can you say that like you you had a house, you lived in a suburb so it's it's unfair to say I grew up poor compared to someone struggling you know in the downtown east side. But compared to what I think what normal experiences might be for people growing up, uh, we didn't have excess money. Like, Actually, I got my first job after grade seven working at McDonald's. Can you imagine right now if you went to a McDonald's in downtown Vancouver and you saw a 13-year-old child in the back? There was no college fund for me. You know, There was no one paying for my tuition. I literally left the day after I graduated high school, and it was go time. After high school, Jamie decided to move to
1: Vancouver. He was actually given a scholarship to go to Simon Fraser University, but he turned that down and decided to go to music school instead. But he still had to support himself, like most students do. So he decided to give music lessons on the side to make a few bucks. It turns out, earning a livable wage on a part-time music teacher's salary when you're 18 is pretty difficult.
0: I had some serious hard times. Like when I came down from Cornell, I had. I remember my budget was fifty dollars a month for food. That was my budget, fifty dollars a month. And I remember looking at three O Henry bars, and it was three O Henry bars for the price of two, and I think it was like a dollar fifty. And I was like, I, I don't have that dollar fifty. Like, I know I'm getting a free O Henry bar if I buy this pack, but I actually can't afford the dollar fifty. So those were terrible, terrible times. And somehow, thankfully, I pulled through. That's when I got my job at the airport, and my. I remember my first check at the airport was $500, $500. I looked at it and I was like, sweet Marie, I could feed myself for 10 months. 10 months, I just made in two weeks. So I immediately quit music school. I didn't go back and I just started working at the airport. because I was like, money is great. Eating is wonderful. After working at the Vancouver airport for a little while, Jamie
1: quit, the job was too high stress. But he had a friend who offered him a job as a bike courier. And since Jamie didn't have any marketable skills at the time, and his friend was giving him an out from a job he really didn't like too much, Jamie decided to take it. But as it turns out, being a bike messenger didn't end up being any less stressful than working at the airport. It meant working really long hours in all types of weather and on really tight deadlines. And to compound the pressure, Jamie eventually started his own courier company, which meant he could never take time off. So he worked when he was sick all the time, and he never took any vacations.
0: And when I was couriering, I, I hit this really kind of just hard time. I hadn't met Melissa yet.
1: Melissa is his wife, by the way.
0: I was still a bike messenger, which really wasn't my you know my passion in life, and it was a very stressful job. Like you're, it's on the clock, and it's just pressure, pressure, pressure. And I remember seeing this photo. It was a picture of. An elephant in the water, but there's a guy okay. going down so into So the photo water, Jamie's like, describing is by a famous
1: suit. Canadian he photographer like, named like Gregory Colbert. To the water? Colbert is known for his black and white photos that show people and animals interacting harmoniously in the natural world. And a lot of his work features people with elephants. The photo that Jamie saw while he was out couriering is an underwater shot of a man and an elephant. There's an elephant swimming at the top of the frame looking agile and light. The sun is penetrating the surface of the water and illuminating the top half of the photo. In the bottom half of the photo, there is a shirtless man who appears to be sinking headfirst to the bottom of the frame. His arms and his legs look rigid, and his head is tilted in such a way that it looks as if he's looking up at the elephant.
0: It looked like he was either drowning or just falling, like as if he was falling off a building and into this water. And I remember looking at this image, and it just... It just actually took my breath away, and that's what art is supposed to do. It's just supposed to make you just stop in your tracks. And I was like, I'm that guy. Like, I, I'm that guy drowning right now. Like, I'm not the elephant. <laughs> There's only three things or four things you can be in this piece of art. You can either be the light, the elephant, the water, or the guy. And I was like, right now, I relate to the guy. Like, I'm drowning in this.
1: This photo had a profound impact on Jamie. It made him question what he was doing with his life. And shortly after this existential moment, Jamie started
0: exploring paramedicine and ended up saving his first life. We took a, like an industrial first aid course because we are like, well, maybe we could become firefighters or paramedics. And sure enough, I'm riding around delivering envelopes and I hear over the radio, can someone call 911? This guy's having a heart attack in the middle of the street. I was a block away. So I'm like, that's crazy. So... I ride over, and it was in the middle of Burrard and Pender, a huge intersection in downtown Vancouver. And there's this massive crowd around this guy who's flat on his back, and he's he's totally pale. And there was some lady. She was going to start doing chest compressions. And there was a guy uh, who I later learned his name was Jay. He was a stockbroker. He had a pocket mask, these little things that he used to put on people's faces and blow into and I remember asking the lady, I said, "Do you do you know what you're doing? Like, are you comfortable?" And she's like, "No to you." So started doing compressions. Jay, the stockbroker, starts doing mouth to mouth via this pocket mask. And I think we did maybe like two rounds, like maybe like two minutes, four minutes, and pulses came back. Yeah, guy took a breath. It was crazy. And at the end of my shift, I go back. To, I go up to St. Paul's to see what happened. And then the guy's wife and his daughter are already there. And they came out, and they're crying, and they're hugging. It was, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. That's probably what made me want to become a paramedic for life after that, yeah.
1: So Jamie went to school and became a paramedic. And like his job at the airport, or running his courier company, or flipping burgers at McDonald's for that matter, being a paramedic is a high-stress job. But the community that Jamie works with has specific challenges that make paramedicine even more demanding than it already is.
0: My station is at what's called the Downtown east side. It's a very challenging district of the city of Vancouver. Well, actually, probably in the country. We have a lot of uh, people with financial challenges and some addiction issues that they we deal with in the downtown east side. It's a, a lower income neighborhood, but I'm passionate about it. I, I'm an advocate for this neighborhood. So, a station is like as soon as we walk in, usually the phone's ringing. We have to take over the ambulance from the crew that's just finishing their shift. So that crew is trying to, you know, get back to, we call it quarters, back to the station so that they can go home and then we have to physically get into that ambulance and take it out. So the ambulance never stops moving. So as soon as they pull in, usually the phone is ringing at the station for another call to go out on. And then it's basically uh, getting the ambulance and, and we're going. As soon as we start, we go and we don't really come back until 12 hours later.
1: Jamie's been a paramedic for 14 years now. He's been on tens of thousands of calls and helped save thousands of lives. And because Jamie works in a high-poverty neighborhood with drug and mental health challenges, he's exposed to a lot of people in heartbreaking situations. It's not uncommon for paramedics to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder after years of seeing the things that they see. And it's impossible to forget some of the calls, especially the disturbing ones.
0: And we're going down the, a street in the downtown east side, and it was like, oh my gosh, it was like four in the morning. You know, we've already done you know nine hours, and this guy, he goes out into the middle of the street, and he's flagging down us. As soon as we stop, he comes around my uh, passenger side. I wind down my window, and he shows me his arm, which is cut open from wrist to elbow, like completely wide open. And he's like,
1: Do you think this needs medical attention?
0: And I say, have you been stabbed?
1: No. I did it myself.
0: So I open the pastry door. I open the back of the ambulance get him in. And I immediately wrap his hand. I'm like, how did this happen? I used
1: a razor blade. I swallowed it.
0: And then I'm like, do you have any others? So he's reaching into his boot to pull out this other razor blade. And I'm like, he's so out of his correct minds... I think it's the closest in my life currently where I thought I was gonna get stabbed, so I hold up my clipboard for him to put the razor blade on, and thankfully he did. Those kind of calls are just like, how do, how do people make those choices? You know, how how did he get there at four o'clock in the morning? You know, what made him cut his arm open? What made him swallow the razor blade after? Unfortunately, a lot of it's mental health problems and just really poor poor decisions.
1: It's these types of situations that Jamie and other paramedics have to be prepared for. They demand quick decision-making and swift action. But they also keep the job interesting.
0: You know, people ask, like, does it ever wear off? And it's still a rush. I don't want to paint it as, like, an adrenaline junkie uh, career path. But it is exciting. Like, you know, you're you're splitting lanes or, you are you know, you're passing cars as, they, as they're pulling over, like parting the Red Sea. Now I'm really focused on the outcome like I know what all the calls in my head are going to look like but sometimes that actually increases the uh you know the excitement because I know I can fix this person.
1: Jamie has devoted his life to trying to fix the lives of others but the one life he might not be able to save is his own. Jamie has a very rare disease called hereditary angioedema or AHE for short. It's an inherited disease with symptoms of severe, painful, and reoccurring attacks of swelling. And if gone untreated, an attack can last from 24 to 72 hours or even longer. But the intensity and the severity of each attack is not actually known until the attack happens, and that's why it is so dangerous.
0: Oh my gosh, I've had it for probably 20 years. It didn't happen through high school, and it, it came started coming out in my 20s where... I've had headaches, I've had migraines my entire life, even as a little kid. It was just debilitating. But I started getting my like my, my eye would actually like swell shut. So 20 years ago, it might be happened like once a year, once every six months, but in the last, let's call it five years, I, I get it like once every like two weeks, where I get this crazy headache. I just want to just bury myself in the dirt. And then my eye will like turn black, like as if I've been punched in the face. And then It'll actually swell. Like it looks like my whole. It looks like I've been in a boxing match, and it's. Uh, I'm lacking a, a certain protein inhibitor in my blood. There's no cure currently, and the biggest concern, of course, with any time with your body is airway. So, is it possible that my. It goes from my eye into my, my throat. Like could my throat one day just swell randomly?
1: Luckily, Jamie's disease has never affected his airway. And there's a very real possibility it never will. But there's always a chance it could. And when you look at some of the stats around AHE, it can be a bit alarming.
0: But yeah, they paint the bleak picture where, you know, 40% mortality rates and you can die within 20 minutes, which is true. Like if it had, if it affects my airway, because it does happen really fast. So the stats can be super alarming when you read them on paper. I I personally have never met anyone else with it. I think it's like one in a hundred thousands or something. Whenever you have these really intense medical problems, I find that the rest of the world doesn't matter. When I still have these episodes, for the most part, everything stops. You know, if anyone ever suffers from migraines out there, they can relate. Like, you know, maybe you're not paying your bills on time, or you're having a relationship problem. But when you have a when you have a, a migraine, like, all you think about is your headache. Like, that's the it's all encompassing. And I'm sure it's the same with other you know debilitating diseases where. It really puts things in perspective super fast. And maybe having a disease
1: like this has helped Jamie adopt the perspective that he has. Maybe it's a big reason why, as Jamie puts it, he's wired differently. Why he's always smiling. Why he seems to have a never-ending, self-generating, internal reservoir of positivity inside himself. I'm not entirely sure why Jamie is the way he is and why he sees the world the way he does. And I don't even think Jamie knows why either. But suffering from such a rare and potentially fatal disease is bound to test someone's mental and emotional durability. And that test can have a profound impact on the way someone looks at the world, for better or for worse.
0: You know, if you're spending your day stressed, oh, I'm driving to work, oh, I hate it, 10 years from now, those are the days that you're going to remember. Like, it's going to go by really, really fast. And you're going to look back and go, oh yeah, remember those last 10 years that I hated every single minute? So, what are you doing to make yourself happy? You know, like, what are you doing to improve your quality of life? Because people don't know. I don't know what makes me happy. I don't know what I like. And that's where I tell people, well, then start helping others. My mantra is, how can I help you? Every single person I meet, how can I help you? What can I do for you? I truly believe that in all of us there is a desire to help others and everything I've achieved in my life is because I was nice to somebody I just want to help people just enjoy life you know and whether that's bringing them back from the dead I just want people just really just take a moment and just appreciate what they've got which is which is a wonderful life
1: This has been Interesting Vancouver Presents Jamie D. Grant This episode was hosted and produced by me, David Swanson, with support from Brett McFarlane and Mark Bussey, in association with SFU Woodward's Graphic Designers of Canada and Creative Mornings Vancouver. Through talks, workshops and programs, Interesting Vancouver celebrates the people and activities that can only happen in Vancouver and by Vancouverites. For more information, to subscribe or to get in touch, visit us at interestingvancouver.com.